0: The goal of equipping the athlete and those coaching them with the physical, mental, and spiritual armor necessary to live their best life. Here's Coach Connors.
1: Welcome to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors. Uh, today's show is going to be very special because we have Dr. Rick Perea with us, uh, world champion performance psychologist and mentalist, helper, healer, speaker, and author, has authored the book Decision Point, offers services such as a brain spa and wellness center, uh, athletic services, float therapy, also brain training. And uh, Rick, just great to have you in the house. And we have a mutual friend by the name of Coach Bill Jacobs, who kind of put us together, and I'm very thankful for that. And I'm really looking forward to speaking with you today. Well,
2: thanks, Coach. It's great to be on your show. Coach Jake is is just uh, the everything to me. He coached me in college, and he's the best coach I ever had, and that includes at the NFL level. I, he just was a great teacher of the game, of footwork and technique, and um, but he's even a better person, if that's possible. So, yeah, yes,
1: sir. Well, what I'd like you to do is maybe just give us a little bit of background of of your athletic career first, and then possibly how you developed this uh, interest and passion for mental health. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little background there.
2: Sure. So as an athlete, I was uh, an outside linebacker in football, high school, college. Um, I played at uh, University of Southern Colorado Division II school in Pueblo, Colorado. It's now called CSU Pueblo, and they won the national championship D2 in uh, 15, 14 or 15 they their perennial power um, now. I was signed as an undrafted free agent outside linebacker by the Denver Broncos in 1983. I was a rookie with John Elway, Carl Mecklenburg, and those guys. Mm -hmm. The cool thing about that coach is, so John Elway was a rookie then, I was too, and then Gary Kubiak was also a rookie in that class. We were all with the Broncos. Fast forward all the way to 2015, Gary Kubiak's the head coach, John Elway's the general manager, and I'm the team psychologist. And that's the year we win the super bowl so wow uh, yeah pretty cool story um i spent two years on injury reserve in, in in the nfl um and never was active but i learned a lot learned that i needed to help a lot of other players and that's one of the reasons i went to school and got my master's degree and eventually my phd in psychology so i could help athletes um, perhaps not go through some of the things i went through because as an athlete I, you know, the the crazy thing about it, coach, is I was experiencing anxiety in my first NFL camp, but I didn't even know it was anxiety. I I didn't even know that the tightness in my stomach and, you know, the pain in my chest, I didn't know that was anxiety. You know, I'd never been exposed to that. Nobody, you know, I'd never been to a psychologist. So once I learned what, there's two different types of anxiety. There's somatic, soma means body. So somatic anxiety is when you feel it physically. Right. Cognitive anxiety is when it, it impairs your thinking. Your thinking narrows and you don't think as clearly. So once I realized that I was experiencing that, that I thought I said to myself, I want to get a PhD and then go back in the NFL and help players like me who maybe could have had a 10-year career but didn't because I thought I hated football. It wasn't that I hated football, I hated the feeling of anxiety. When I was in camp and or at practice, so that's kind of the you know the impetus or the motivation of why I became a, a psychologist and, and to work in pro sports and and I also I want people to know I I, I work with college athletes and high school athletes as well. In fact, um, you know after we won the Super Bowl in two thousand well actually February two thousand sixteen of the two fifteen season with the Broncos, um, it kind of lets you lets you kind of say okay that that box is checked. So now I I do exactly what I want. And that is oftentimes work with high school teams as well. So
1: yeah, right. Uh, So tell me a little bit about your current business and the services you offer.
2: So my business is here in the Mile High City, Denver, Colorado. It's called Think One, the behavior design specialist. And the reason we call it behavior design is because we can shape our thoughts. And I have a saying that says, shape your thoughts or else your thoughts will shape you. And so most people, when they think about working out physiologically, just I, I break it up, neck down, neck up, neck down, you got to go to the gym to get in shape. You got to go to the gym to make improvements. You don't just walk up to the front door and say, okay, pecs grow. They're not going to grow. You got to get in the bench press. You got to do push-ups, You got to do incline. Same thing with the brain. The brain will not learn new techniques protocols and practices unless you train it so i have different techniques and tools that i teach people to regulate anxiety and you know what coach it basically comes down to this and this is going to sound like anatomy class for a minute but then i'll clean it up So okay. you basically got the autonomic nervous system and on the autonomic nervous system you have two sides sympathetic and parasympathetic and when people are on the parasympathetic side Their heart rate is calm. Their breathing's calm, very little muscle tension. And they think very clearly when they're on the sympathetic side, heart rates up, respirations up muscle tension, a lot of muscle tension. They're thinking narrow. So one side is stress, sympathetic one side is calm and performance. That's parasympathetic. So everything, all the techniques that I teach here, are aimed at helping people stay on the parasympathetic. The cool thing that we do also, Coach, is we we do neurofeedback. So we train people's brains through computer programs. So it's at an electronic level. We can train the brain to be calm in the parasympathetic even before it's a conscious decision to be calm. And that's what uh, uh, that's what um, neurofeedback is. And we do that here. We also have what's called an alpha stem that stimulates the alpha brainwave. Alpha brainwave regulates anxiety, depression, and insomnia. So we not only do coaching and therapy here from a mental perspective, we also treat the brain electronically coach at the core level where it's getting trained without its permission. and that's what's cool because there are some stubborn people out there who don't want to do talk therapy. They do, don't want to do coaching, but they got a high-amp, you know, engine, and we call that high-beta, and if they have high-beta, they're going to be one of these people that just react, and they're on that sympathetic side most of the time, but we can actually train it to be in that alpha level, right? calm, cool, and collected, and that's – there. there's nothing like that to give that to a quarterback or a major league pitcher or, heck, mom and dad who, who are trying to – regulate themselves when, you know, their kids are going at it in the house.
1: Yeah, I think I've been on a sympathetic side most of my life, but now <laughs> I'm trying to learn some uh, parasympathetic breathing. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about, you know, what I've uh, – my little journey here has been. So I started a website called ArmoredLife.org, and I put together an Armored Life team of, of uh, pastors who I coached, uh, former athletes who played in the NFL, who I coached, and then you know just just other folks that I thought uh, from a coaching standpoint as well might fit in well. Uh, you know I'm just kind of out there on a mission, not kind of not really knowing exactly where I'm going. Uh, but uh, then I was asked to do this podcast, and uh, I basically my response was if I can talk about Jesus Christ, I'll do the podcast.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, you
1: know I'm all I'm I'm trying to bring people to uh, you know some form of spiritual life as well, because I think that's also extremely important in this world. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, and then, you know, I've had in my podcast, a lot of testimony of athletes. Uh, We, we actually went through uh, Paul and the epistles with one pastor and I've also had, you know, several pastors on that I coached and so forth. So, uh, so here's the reason that I did this is that I, I, after I retired, I looked back and I thought about my career and I thought about, maybe the 150 guys that went by the wayside over 30-some years for smoking marijuana. Uh, you know, the guys that went downtown and got in trouble in a fight or whatever from, from alcohol abuse. Uh, guys that were having uh, financial problems at home that had to support their family somehow. Uh, I had a few people come and see me who were thinking about suicide, of course, over the years. Uh, you know, I've, I saw... Uh, Two kids that I coached, of course, went home. Or one went home and got shot, uh, was murdered in a bar, and the other one uh, was murdered uh, in, the, in the parking lot of a mall. And, uh, you know, I just try to think, you know, is there any way that I could save some of these guys? And uh, I don't really know exactly where I'm going with this, but uh, every week I just uh, somehow think of somebody else to bring on that maybe we can just keep pursuing this objective and do something good in the world. So uh, I guess what I really want to ask you about is some of these specifics. And I want to start with, uh, with marijuana because it's so, has been so heavily used or abused or however you want to call it with collegiate athletes, with a lot of collegiate football players uh, who, you know, seem to not be able to stop even though they knew they were going to lose their scholarship and go by the wayside. Uh, which is a really sad deal. But uh, I guess what I want to ask is, is there a connection with, is there a drug-induced schizophrenia, for instance?
2: Yeah, there is. Um, You know, marijuana has, there's so much research to support that marijuana is very destructive. And it's destructive in many ways in the brain, both from a physiological, but also a psychological and emotional level too. Um, People become emotionally and psychologically dependent upon it. And therefore, they, it's hard for them to stop. There also is a physiological based part of that addiction, too. But yeah, there, there is a schizophrenia that can be, and, and schizoid, which is a, a, a different type of schizophrenia, but schizoid can be induced by smoking marijuana. And this is a it's characteristic of irrational behavior, uh, illusional, delusional. And really not being able to accurately judge distances, um, people's uh, perceptual values. Like, you know, I I can't read people's nonverbals the same that I would typically be able to. So, yeah, marijuana is one of the most destructive tools um, we see in modern day sports. In fact, I was just down visiting my son, who's a freshman at CSU Pueblo where I played, but it was a different name by then. But, um, and he told me that when he walks through the hall of his dorm, he can smell smell the smell of weed. And so I later met with the coach. We are just, I was meeting him because he's a first year uh, coach. And I said, you know, coach, I said, it's really different than in my day. I said, when we had our dorms, we didn't have to worry about smelling pot or smelling weed when you walk down the hall. And my son's telling me that. And the coach says, well, this is the first I heard of it. So, um, you know, it's just I see it in the NFL. Even though there's drug testing, I see it in the NFL quite a bit. A lot of people believe it regulates anxiety. But, no, I'm from the camp that it really does um, quite a bit of harm to the brain. And, again, emotionally, psychologically, some people can't come out of it. And they end up throwing away their careers, not only in sports, but, I mean, in their occupation and oftentimes in relationships
1: as well. Uh, so with the the current research that you've been exposed to, you, you support the fact that, you know, we should stay away from smoking marijuana as athletes. 100%. Yeah.
2: 100%. Because, you know, what, what people mistake is they say, Oh, well, it, it takes away my anxiety. Yeah. It takes away your anxiety because you're almost, you know, you're dormant because you're in that, you're in that parasympathetic, but you're, you're, your autonomic nervous system has been depressed, and it and it wow. literally gets depressed the more and more you smoke it. So of course you don't feel anxiety because you're you're not even coherent. Um, yeah. you're, you're high. You're just you're in a, a a state that just is not able to read you know nonverbal communication, and it's just not a good thing. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. When I was in college, I had a few teammates that used to smoke weed. Yeah. before practice and I was like what are you guys doing and they're like oh man it helps me chill out and I was like huh, okay well you know yeah, it's football I, right right I know this football like I was like well let me come chill you out in Oklahoma drill and see how that feels you know yeah there you go but I'll, I'll never forget coach one night I went to a party and we were just going to stop by I went to one party in four years of college and this is the party I'm talking about I went to this party. It was like nine o'clock. We were playing the next afternoon at one o'clock, and we said let's just stop by. Well, we saw a few teammates there sitting on a couch, smoking a bong. I don't know if you even know what that is. You know what that is, Coach? Yeah, I went to college with some guys too that were uh, indulging. <laughs> so they're sitting there smoking a bong, and um, I look at them, and I was, and one of them was a, a defensive tackle. And I played defensive end and we were lined up right next to each other. And I looked at him and I said, okay, so tomorrow we're going to war at one o'clock. And this is what you're doing at nine o'clock the night before. Yeah. And he was a junior and I was a, I was a sophomore. I was an underclassman. And he looks at me and he says, come on, man, come on, man, just chill out. And I'm like, no, I ain't chilling out nothing. I'm like, we're going to war in less than 12 hours and you're over here smoking a bong. I said, man, that is, that is not right. So it's been going on a long time, but
1: that doesn't make it okay. So to answer yeah. your question, 100% against it, coach. Well, football is an aggressive sport. And uh, to me, I thought that uh, marijuana made you passive and, uh, you yes. know, <laughs> non-aggressive and apathetic to an, an extent. So uh, yeah, we're on the same page there, of course. And I, you know, it's just tragic how many players I've seen go by the wayside for, uh, for, you know, violating that policy. So uh Next thing I would mention is uh, the importance of self-esteem. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, I really think that uh, in my experience, much of that comes from playing time uh, or not getting playing time. And then that not getting playing time sometimes uh, resulted in anger and resentment uh, along with possibly lower self-esteem. So what are your thoughts there? Well, you know, Coach, when you talk about, anger, frustration,
2: I want people to understand who hear this. Anger and frustration are secondary emotions, okay? Primary emotions are hurt and fear. So if you're ever angry or frustrated, you're actually hurt first, meaning your feelings get hurt. But we pop so quickly to to anger and frustration, we don't even feel the hurt. So what I would encourage people to understand is, like, if you're not getting PT playing time, that hurts because, you know, you, you you came to college, you work hard, you think you're going to get some playing time, but you don't. That hurts. You need to stay in that emotion and feel it, okay, whether it's in your dorm room or your apartment. You don't want to be acting hurt during Oklahoma drill. I get that. Yeah. But yeah. when you're at home, you've got to feel that pain. If you just go to anger and go, oh man, you know, I'll just use coach Jake's name for example. Coach Jake should be playing me. I I should be a starter. I should be, and blame it on other people or external factors. You're never going to process that hurt. If you process and say, you know what, at this point, I'm just not, I'm just not good enough to get on the field, but I'm going to keep working on my speed, my agility, my change of direction, my strength. And I'm going to get there. And that's a base you can work with and the brain can work with to build that. As you talk about self-esteem, there's a term we use in psychology. It's called self-efficacy and self-efficacy is more stable than confidence. And so that's what we study. But self-efficacy is based on past experiences you've had successful. So I think it's so important to understand Don't pop to that secondary emotion of anger. So if you find yourself angry and frustrated, you've got to backtrack and get in touch with that hurt or fear base first. Get in touch with it, process it, own it. Don't blame other people. Don't blame your coach. Don't blame, you know, we're running a 4-3 when we should be running a 3-4. Don't blame the scheme. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, how do I get better every day
1: from the neck up and the neck down? No doubt. Well, the next thing that I wanted to mention is uh, just basic stress. And and what I'm talking about is the daily schedule that has at the collegiate level, uh, all the demands. And then with regard to academics, athletics, the tutor, uh, then on top of that, you're trying to have a social life of some sort. Uh, so, uh, you know, what kind of advice or how how can we make that better for athletes? Uh, I guess it's a time management process, for instance.
2: Yeah, it is. But there's there's a, a technique that we've heard a lot of the top coaches use throughout um, the nation in college and the NFL. And we see it in the NBA and Major League Baseball, too. It's something I teach on a regular basis. And what it's called is process process focus on process goals instead of outcome goals yeah and when you focus on process coach it's a lifestyle it's not just a protocol or a practice it's a lifestyle everything is process and here's an example when i was in high school i played mike linebacker and nobody taught me to read keys they didn't teach me really anything about how to get off blocks or anything i just ran around and made plays because i had speed but I also got ear a lot because I didn't know where I was going. Yeah. I get to college. Coach Jake starts teaching me how to read. <laughs> you know, imagine that you read near guard, near guard, near back. And you start reading that because before I was looking in the backfield, I was looking at the ball, trying to find the ball to tackle the ball. Well, I get to college. Coach Jake teaches me how to read. And the read te- takes you to the ball. Don't look at the ball. You will meet the ball when you follow your process. That's my process. I was focused on outcome in high school, making the tackle. The process is footwork and technique that will get me to the outcome. And so people have to need to understand. Let's go back to the science of the sympathetic and parasympathetic. You will stay in the parasympathetic if you focus on process. Here's why I have 100% control over process. Footwork and technique. Nobody can take that away from me. Now, I, you may lock me up and block me, but I can still use my footwork and technique. There's no, nobody taking that away from me. I get to own it. Right. If I focus on outcome, I better get the tackle. I better make the pick. I, you know, we better win. I don't have hundred percent control over outcome goals. So think about this coach. We are grading ourselves every day as players, as people, a salesperson who's selling homes, for example. I'm grading myself on an outcome basis. Did I make the tackle? Did I sell the house? Did I make the the TD reception? When I don't have 100% control over that. That's silly. What I should be assessing myself on is process. And process are things we have 100% control over. Effort, energy, attitude, footwork, technique. I can control all those. That's what I assess myself on. Now, the outcome, of course, I want to make the tackle. Of course, I want to make the reception. Of course, we want to win the game. But all we can really do is focus on process. And guess what? The wins are a symptom of process. So when I take care of process, symptom takes care of itself. I'll give you an example. I was at one of Alabama's practices. Oh, gosh. I don't know, 10 years ago. And um, offensive line coach was just t- teaching first step, first step, hand placement, first step, hand placement. It wasn't like first step, second step, pop your hips. It wasn't the whole sh- shebang. It was process, process. Yeah. And he did that for 10 minutes, first step. And the people were like, why is he spending so much time on first step? Well, I'm not an offensive lineman, but I played against a lot of offensive linemen. And I can tell you, their first step is very important in the process of blocking you. Right. So when we learn to focus on process, and I don't mean just when I'm competing every day in my life, then anxiety goes down because I have 100% control over that. When I focus on outcome goals, anxiety goes up because I don't have 100% control over that. And that goes against the general sentiment in our society, coach. People are always taught outcome goals. Oh, I want to make all conference. I want to make 200 tackles this year. I want to, you know, be on varsity, whatever it is. Well, just go out and focus on process people. And then the outcome will come.
1: Kind of like one play at a time. That's it. That's it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. 100%.
1: So uh, the other thing, uh, another one of these uh, factors would be uh, relationships. Uh, So developing relationships, uh, getting through, let's say, a a young man comes to play football. He's got a relationship with a young lady back home, and he's having a hard time. He's having anxiety just because he misses her and is not used to being away from her, and I've seen that happen quite a bit. Uh, You know, how do we deal with that the best way? Here's a
2: a simple answer that's going to sound complex. Focus on process. Okay, (laughs) no, really, I just told you about what you know, whether it's a tackle or a block. But the reason I said it's a lifestyle coach is because it is. So even in relationships, you know, when this same young man you're talking about misses his girlfriend, that's an outcome. But if he focuses on process, you know what? Tonight I'm going to talk to her on the phone for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and you know, we're just going to talk about how we're doing. That's process. Outcome is, I miss you. We know we miss each other, but that's going to an outcome goal. Let's focus on our communication to each other. Let's focus on our interests in each other's lives. Let's focus on what we're doing, I'm doing here at college, what you're doing on back home. And talk about process things. Then the brain will go away from the outcome. See, there's two things here. There's a brain and there's a mind. The brain is the anatomy. The mind is the brain plus input. So if I just tell my brain, I'm going to focus on process today, when I talk to Betty Lou, it's going to talk about our, you know, how her cat's doing, how her job's going, here's how practice went today, I got a test in geometry tomorrow, it's all process, then my brain stays away from, I miss her, I miss her. Now, don't get me wrong, at the end of the day, your, you know, your mind will go, okay, yeah, I do miss her, but there won't be such a focal point. I'll give you a case in point when i was a sophomore in college i had a roommate that came all the way from the bronx in new york and every night his girlfriend would call him every single night so his brain is getting bombarded with her voice her name her experiences no wonder he misses her right yeah. so but if he focus on process hey you know what let's talk twice a week I got practice, I got to study. We'll talk twice a week and we'll, you know, and then talk about what she's doing on a daily basis, what I'm doing and not so much about, oh, I miss you. Cause then then that's bringing the, the heartstrings into it. And the brain will believe what you tell it. If you tell your brain, I miss her, it'll miss her. But if you tell your brain, I miss her, but I'm focusing on being a better student, being a better athlete, the brain will go there as well. Right.
1: Uh, So backing up just a little bit that I I thought about something here, uh, you know, back to self-esteem. How do you feel like social media impacts self-esteem? And uh, uh, what are your thoughts there?
2: Boy, (laughs) you opened up a can of worms here. I I think social media is harming us, Coach, in general. I, I think that overall, I think there's some good things to it. Don't get me wrong. But adolescence, let's take adolescence. Adolescence is from 10 and a half to 24 and a half. The prefrontal cortex of the brain is not de- done developed till 24 and a half. It is it is harming most of our adolescents in this society, yeah. because I'll give you an example. Um, my youngest son is 14 years old and I am pretty intuitive guy. And I noticed that when he was going to school that he just seemed off a little bit. Now, I have a general rule. I'm not saying this is for everybody, but this is my rule at home my sons do not play video games um, they can play derivatives of them like my my 16 year old son plays an architecture game where he builds homes um, but there's there's a very there's a, a math part of that but not video games like shooting up people or destroying people in any right. we don't even have an Xbox I don't even know what the other one's called there's Xbox and then Y80 or whatever the heck they're called I don't know we don't even have that in our home right So when my 14 year old, I noticed something was off with him. Um, So I started digging. I talked to teachers, talked to the principal. I talked to him and he looked me in the eye and he says, dad, yeah, I've been playing video games on my computer in the back of the classroom. And so I said, OK, you know, that's a rule. You shouldn't be doing it. And he says, yeah, I know. He says, but my all my friends play it, so I thought I would. And I said, well, okay, well, here's a lesson for you that we don't have to do what all your friends do. But long story short, I made sure that his teachers knew that he wasn't playing it in the back of the classroom. He was he was blocked on certain sites. His his eyes brightened up within a day. I mean, just his eyes, his attention, his focus. You know, he yeah. was sucking the life out of him, coach. You right. can see it, you can feel it. And these people that literally sit on their on their Xboxes or whatever they do, and play for two, three, four, and I even heard of eight hours at a time. Yeah. I'm like, what do you do? Do you take a bathroom, <laughs> a bathroom break, or what do you guys do? But I feel like social media, the Instagram, the 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 TikTok, it, all it shows is is beauty, strength, power. It doesn't show pain. It doesn't show vulnerability. It doesn't show us in our real world. You know, Coach, one of the things I, I admit to my clients right away, whether it's an NFL guy or it's an everyday person, I tell them I have challenges too in my life. I'm a real person. Just because I have those three letters behind my name doesn't mean I'm perfect. I am not. I have my own challenges. So when we all say we're in this together, we need to really be in this together and, and say to be vulnerable with each other. Be willing to say, you know what? I'm working on that. But right now, I have those challenges. And I do as a psychologist. So when we show Instagram and it's only beauty, when we show TikTok and it's only people who can dance with rhythm and, and uh, you know, are beautiful, that's not the real world. And what that does, it causes harm because people will look at that and go, man, I, I, I don't have a body like that. I don't look like that. I don't have 10 million likes, you know? And so they start internalizing that, that they don't measure up. And comparison is a slippery slope to low self-concept. Low self-concept is at the root of low self-esteem.
1: Old problem of uh, alcohol. (laughs) It's still around. Yes. So, uh, Couple thoughts there.
2: Yeah. Alcohol is one of the most destructive, pervasive, yet socially acceptable drugs that we participate in. I have seen alcohol tear apart teams, families, and organizations. We normalize alcohol in this in this culture in the united states we normalize it it's normal let's go out and have a drink let's go to happy hour you know i heard something the other day was put beautifully this is i'm not going to take credit for this but but someone said be aware that if when you sit at the dinner table if your child has to reach over your glass of wine or reach over your beer to get their milk to get their water And that really resonated with me in my head, coach, because I was thinking, man, how many families sit down with a glass of wine with a beer? Now, I'm not saying that drinking a glass of wine is taboo and you shouldn't do it. okay? But what I'm saying is, think about the visualization of that 12-year-old adolescent. And they see mom with a glass of wine maybe every night or every other night. Or they see dad come home and and drink two or three beers after work on, on on the lounge chair. It becomes normal. And I, again, I just think that alcohol, the abuse of alcohol um, is just harming so many of us. And it's, and it's so, um, it's sneaky. It's yeah. sneaky in a way where you can send a text and your text message even changed. I got, I'll, I'll be real honest with you. I'm, I'm divorced and I, and I date and I have a, a girlfriend that I date. And coach, and I, and I share this with her, I'm a very transparent guy. And I told her, I says, look, when, you, when you're when you out of town and you call me and you've had a glass of wine, I can tell. I can tell. She's not slurring her words or acting silly, but she's a little more expressive, just a little more expressive. I can tell in her text messages when she's had a glass of wine. And she's a little gal. She's, you know, five, one, you know, 110 pounds, so it doesn't take a lot. Yeah, but, but I personally, I don't want to talk to wine. I yeah. want to talk, I want to talk to the person. You know, yeah. I don't want to talk to five beers. I want to talk to the person. And I've literally had sure. to take you know, some, some of my college teammates. Um, I've literally said, hey, bro, you know, get some sleep. We'll talk tomorrow, you know, because I don't want right. to talk to those, those five beers. That's not, that's not accurate perception. So, yeah, alcohol um, is, is just as destructive as any other drug out there on the market. It's just and, – and the crazy thing is it's, it's right in front of us. We normalize it, and it's legal.
1: Well, there's, there's so much emphasis now with athletes on restoration and recovery and taking care of your body and, and nutrition, and uh, it's all going in the right direction, in my opinion. You know, I just went up to uh, Ohio State's uh, strength clinic – Uh, This past week and sat down with uh, their performance integration team and uh, it was very uh, eye opening to me on how much resources, effort, staff members and so forth. uh, That's basically being dedicated toward, I guess you could say, wellness recovery. I mean, you're talking about uh, float tanks. Uh, You know, every athlete has an aura ring. Uh, you know, using force plates to, to give him, to provide information, uh, just all kinds of different, uh, feedback modalities. And of course, when I coached, I used, a, I, what we call tendo units, uh, for velocity based training to give you some feedback on every rep in relationship to wattage or, uh, or speed produced in that particular repetition, but, uh, feedback recovery, um, you know, all these things are really being emphasized at a high level. and A lot of, of money is being spent on research. And I think I, I, if I'm not mistaken, this new dry float tank is about 25 grand just for one unit. Uh, so, uh, you know, hopefully that, that those things work well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, um, so with regard to that and, I just remembered also, you know, I came out and visited the Broncos when Al Miller was there. So were you, do you know Al Miller? Al Miller. The what uh, is- strength coach.
2: No, no. Okay.
1: So no. I'm, I'm not sure what year that was, but I have been to Denver. So, okay. yeah. Uh, I went up to a park up in the mountains somewhere. I drove up there. It was beautiful. But, uh, uh but during that time, uh, You know, Al was one of – he was probably the most, uh, I guess you could say, respected authority in strength and conditioning across the country that kind of everybody went to. And he took a lot of things from the Eastern Bloc countries. Uh, But but I did want you to know that I had been out there. I think they just uh, made a change in their strength coach this past week with the new regime coming in from what I read. Yep, they sure did. And that happens quite frequently. Yeah,
2: sure does. (laughs) Uh, as you know, the NFL stands for not for long. Yeah, no
1: doubt. <laughs> so, um, you know, with regard to all these things that I mentioned, for instance, that I saw at Ohio State, are you using some of these or uh, what What are your feelings about what? what is the most impactful now in relationship to restoration?
2: Yeah, to answer your question, absolutely yes. We've had – the float tank, the, the scientific term is called a sensory deprivation tank. We, we've we had one for about nine years now. Um, in fact, I should have bought stock in that company because when I worked for the Broncos, before I worked for the Broncos, they didn't have any. Now they got four. Before I worked for the Dolphins, they had none. Now they got three. I, Cleveland, I can go on and on. Right. Um, but yeah, those we're, we're very much cutting edge, Coach. I want to be a practitioner that, helps people, helps reach people where they're at, not where I'm at, okay? You know, I'm I'm not going to ask someone to dive into my PhD level education. No, I got to reach them where they're at. So if it's a nine-year-old gymnast, if it's a 27-year-old linebacker, I got to be able to reach those guys where they're at. And sometimes it is a float tank. Sometimes it's a biomat with the amethyst crystals that relaxes the central nervous system, breaks down lactic acid. Sometimes it's the alpha stim, the one that clips on the ears and sends an electrical current through the upper cortical structure of the brain and stimulates the alpha brain waves, which regulates anxiety, depression, and insomnia. Sometimes it's neurofeedback, what we do here where we train people's brains through computer programs. And I want people to know something about neurofeedback, by the way. It's the single greatest thing to happen in human behavior in a, de- in, in, in a century. Okay, and I'll repeat that. It's the single best thing to happen in human behavior in a century because it treats the brain at an electronic level that we, I can't do, you can't do, a therapist can't do. So we now have methodologies that are going beyond just our communicative abilities. It's our ability to use technology, the electronics to stimulate brain. We now know the brain has neuroplasticity, which means the brain can change. That's called neurogenesis. And then the brain will prune away what we no longer use. That's called neural pruning. So we now have the ability, coach, to reconstruct or reframe the way people think in a systematic way. So it's just so powerful. And then we have the the recovery tools for the body. I mean, I want to be a guy here at Think One that leaves no stone unturned. I don't want to, you know, and Coach Jake has been a great influence on me there. He keeps asking me about different, hey, what about this? What about this? And I love that because I want to be on the front edge. I want to be on the cutting edge because my sons, 19, 16, and 14, are playing football in this day and age, and recovery is a big, big part of it. Bodies are only getting bigger and stronger and faster, even though the rules have changed. Um, quite a bit since since we played, but the the there's still a lot of collisions on the football field, and we have to help these athletes recover, not just from the neck down, but from the neck up, and we have those tools now, Coach.
1: That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I've always been interested in, in the uh, neural aspect of things, and when it came along with uh, homogenous gel electrophoresis that, I guess, replaced histochemistry and looking at uh, fiber types and did single fiber typing, Uh, they found that there were a lot more uh, hybrid types. And, uh, you know, I thought that was good news because now the plasticity factor comes in a relationship to the training effect.
2: Yes, yes.
1: So now we can say, okay, this guy isn't coming in the door with a 40 inch vert, but maybe with two years of hard work, I can make him better, Make we can improve his twitch. Yeah. And hopefully the force plates will tell us more about that over the years in relationship to how far we can develop people. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but all that stuff really interests me and, uh, particularly the uh, rate coding aspect of, uh, I guess you could say neural adaptation, um, which seems to be kind of pliable. Like if you don't continue to train explosively, it's going to go away. So I don't know how much you've, studied that but uh those things are very uh interesting to me with regard to the nervous system
2: yeah and and it's applicable to the brain too that's the thing that we're talking about with the neuroplasticity and the neurogenesis to think that we can create new neural pathways i mean think about that we can create new neural pathways it's like going up a hiking trail and then going up to that fork and turning right where all the weeds and the trees are, and you just do it over and over and over, pretty soon you got a new pathway. So it, and then the old pathway will grow in. We don't use it anymore. So we literally can shape our thoughts because here's the quote, shape your thoughts or else your thoughts will shape you. And unfortunately, most people are rocking around in our society, letting their thoughts shape them instead of them taking control and shaping their thoughts. So yeah, you're, you're hundred percent right coach. From the neck down, from the neck up, we are learning through research and development that we have more of a a hand in an athlete's development, a person's development, physiologically, psychologically, and emotionally. And when you have more control over that, then anxiety in and of itself will go down. Because I can tell you this, just from my experience in the NFL, 32 teams in the NFL I'd say there's about 26 teams that don't know what they're doing from the neck up still. And that's, that's, that's sad. I mean, that's going to sound harsh, but it's true. And until, until we look in the mirror and say, how do we catch up to what we've done from the neck from the neck down, then we're not going to be honest with ourselves. I mean, the NFL is now instituting these new wellness programs, which is good. I love it. But Better understand that autonomic nervous system, that sympathetic and parasympathetic. Because if you don't, you're not yeah. going to understand
1: how to keep yourself in that parasympathetic. Uh, well, Dr. Priya, we got about seven or eight minutes. So I, I wanted you to hit maybe two things here. And the first one is sleep. And then the second one would be. Uh, these people that are being hired in the NFL now as player development, Uh, that's their title. A little bit about, you know, what are they trying to do? Is it uh, to maybe I heard about possibly alleviating anxiety after you leave the NFL and, and finding out how to maybe find, you know, your way through your next 25, 30 years of life and not lose all your money and uh you know things of that nature that of course could affect your mental state but but uh what do you tell us a little bit about
2: sleep so sleep is vital for recovery as most people understand that's when the neurons repair themselves the muscles repair themselves so but but there's still a lot of research on what's required for each individual some people will say seven to eight hours but i personally I eat well, I, I I drink a lot of water. I'm a very healthy person. I I only need about four or four and a half hours of sleep every night. Now, again, that's not I'm not 27 years old either, but yeah. the the point is sleep is is where we grow, where we recover, where we really make our gains. And I want people to understand consistent sleep is important. Now, again, we have this device called the Alpha STEM. The Alpha STEM yeah. stimulates it it regulates anxiety, depression, and insomnia. So when you can improve your sleep exponentially, you're going to help your recovery. Let me give you an example. When I was working for the Miami dolphins, um, our executive vice president was a guy named Mike Tannenbaum. You probably see him on ESPN right now. He's always, he's on ESPN leading up to the draft and he, you know, he's, he's no longer an EVP of an NFL team. So he's doing a lot of commenting, uh, commentary. And, you know, I was talking to Mike and he says, you know, I haven't slept a full night in 20 years. And he used that alpha Stim one time and he overslept a 7 a.m. meeting the next day. So <laughs> I'm not saying it's going to work that way for everybody, but yeah. there are ways that we can improve our sleep. I think so many people say, well, I don't know. I just got to throw my hands up. I've tried everything. I've tried listening to meditation music. I've tried melatonin. I've tried all these different um, methodologies. But there's electronic ways that we can stimulate improved sleep as well. But just remember, it's it's about growth, and rep and 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 rested you know re- restoration of tissue of neurons and muscle fibers. Right.
1: Okay. So a little bit about uh, what do you, what do you think the future is in relationship to, uh, the things that need to be emphasized and uh, w- what are the objectives with these player development people with these NFL athletes?
2: Yeah, you know, I can, I can speak to about four or five teams that I've been exposed to, and in every instance, it's been a good situation. Player development is a lot about what the players do off the field. How do they continue to develop? You know, um, I know the Denver Broncos have a program where they get their guys – to finish their degrees. There's a lot of people don't understand. A lot of these guys, you know, don't even go to school their spring semester, their senior year, cause they're preparing for the combine and getting drafted. So a lot of them don't have their degrees. And then you look at some of them signing multi-million dollar contracts and they'll say, well, I don't need my degree. I, I'm already, I got millions of dollars. No, you need your degree so you can use logic and common sense and you can apply Critical thinking skills in your life throughout the rest of your life. Because the NFL, the average NFL career is 2.9, 3.2 years. It's it's yep. over in a heartbeat. You've got to have the tools to go beyond that. Um, so they work on things like finishing your education, but they also talk about furthering your education, going to graduate school. The Miami Dolphins have a great program through their owner, Stephen Ross, who's a who's a, a business tycoon up in up in uh, New York. And they have a, a workshop every year where the players go and they meet business leaders and they talk to them about how they became entrepreneurs. And so they're always thinking about the players once they step off the field too. And so it's, it's player development is really, um, is really looking out for the player's welfare beyond the field, off the field and then beyond their career. And I've seen some really good programs um, that really help. Now, here's here's the challenge. A lot of a few player development people act or think they are psychologists, but they're not. And, and what we need to understand in the NFL and college football and high school too is you have psychologists, but you also have wellness coordinators. Those are two different things. And the NFL will get it figured out. They don't quite have it figured out yet, but they will. They got to keep pathology separate from wellness because pathology is, you know, people who are having challenges, real specific issues, that's different than the wellness. And once we understand to separate those two, as well as from the player development piece, because, but player development works really hand in hand with the mental
1: health people in any organization at the NFL level or college level. Interesting. Very good point. Well, I guess my advice to the listeners would be to uh, read about the Alpha Stem, go find a float tank, find somebody to love, and uh, treat people right, the way that you'd want to be treated. And uh, just uh, so happy to have you on. Uh, I really appreciate it very much. Uh, tell us what your podcast is and when it comes on.
2: My podcast is called Brain, brain Foreplay. Here's the brain. Yep. Yep. Brain Foreplay. And it's, um, it's we do it once a week and it's meant to just stimulate thought, thinking about why we do what we do. And it's not just athletes, it's organizational performance, it's people yeah. performance every day. I think people forget that we perform in our roles every day, our job, our career, mom and dad, those are all roles that we perform in. And our podcast, you know, I have on guests sometimes where we just talk about the brain and the brain development. But sometimes we just talk about classism, racism, things, modern topics that really um, influence right. our, our modern day culture. I'm going to, it's interesting tomorrow, I mean, Sunday, Saturday, sorry, I'm going to be speaking at an event talking about the difference between racism and ethnocentrism on athletic teams um, because some people mix up those words and they don't quite understand what they are. So we're, we're no topic is off limits. And we just try to help people, Coach, like we talked before. Helper and healer, if that's what we spend our life doing, then we're in a good spot. Awesome.
1: Well, I'll be a subscriber. And so uh, thank you so much for being on, uh, Dr. Rick Perea. And uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. But uh, thank you for listening, and God bless. And we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot, Doc. Thanks, Coach. You've been listening to Absolute
0: Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on the Sports Objective. Join us every Monday night for a new edition of the show. Listen to the show pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. Be sure to follow us on social media at the Sports Obj on Twitter and TikTok, at the Sports Objective on Instagram. Like and follow our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. As always, we appreciate you listening to the show. And go pirates!